are tuned in to New Stars with Neil Clark playing the up-and-coming artist first. Hear their stories before anyone else. Coming up on today's show. There ain't no justice down there on the farm. Places full of folks who don't know A blues singer, songwriter and musician that tells everyday stories in a song. It's Mark Harrison. Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. Um, You've had a break from music, but you've been playing for ages. Where did your journey start with music? Blimey, uh, I mean, you know, decades ago in the early medieval period, uh, when I was growing up in Coventry, I suppose, um, and I did some music uh, in my youth, and... um, and then I got on with life as it is lived generally. Uh, and then I picked it up again about 10 years ago. When I, when I picked it up again, it wasn't anything like what I'd done before. I went back to what I'd originally liked mm. uh, when I was at school, which was blues, the original blues music, not not the rock stuff. Right. <clears throat> and um, I, I, I just started to listen to that again by uh, albums. I found you could get them all. Uh, and when I was a kid, uh, you had to go around junk shops looking for uh, old LPs, but now it was all available on CD. So um, I started off listening again, and I I went round to some gigs. I wrote some reviews, and and then I got this guitar I used. Uh, And so I started with with really no aims at all. What was the difference between the blues then and the blues now? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, You know, when... Pretty well everyone knew that uh, all all popular music, really, or every type of popular music that people have liked over the decades has really sprung from the original blues music. Um, And um, I was always interested in the songs they did, the guitar style particularly, which always struck me as phenomenal. It struck me that 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 was proper music. Mm. Uh, it was played on acoustic guitars, but these people had extraordinary ability uh, on the on the guitar parts. And um, so I, I went back to that and um, I thought there's nothing better than that. And then um, I, I was just playing for my own amusement. And then I started to go out and play a bit because I, I wrote a few tunes and uh, I went out and did them a little bit in London. Uh, and it all just sort of took on its own momentum. I met people. People were enthusiastic about what I was doing. Uh, very, very good musicians wanted to play with me. Um, and so it was a rare case, really, of, um, you know, achieving something that you didn't really set out to do. Mm. Uh, um, I guess it's a lesson that, um, you know, you can pick these things up at any age, basically. Yeah, yeah. So did you come from a musical background? No, uh, not at all. No, but I, I grew up in Coventry and, um, I had bands at school. I was in bands and that kind of thing. And then, um, uh, I played, uh, you know, did quite a lot of gigs in, in my youth. Uh, and then as I say, that, that wasn't, um, 
looking like going anywhere. So um, I embarked on normal life and did that for a long time. Uh, and um, and as I say, I, I I just went back to this out of interest, and I got this wonderful guitar. And because I was listening to all the original blues people, um, I, I understood about the tunings they were using, and I I put the guitar in that, and then suddenly I discovered I could play uh, in a way I hadn't been able to before. It was my thing. It was suddenly it's like a kind of eureka moment. Uh, and um, I remember sitting in my room at my then home and thinking, well, that's an extraordinary sound. That can't be me. Uh, and, and looking in the mirror and seeing the fingers moving around, thinking, wow, that's much better than I am. So um, I wrote a few tunes. I, I realized I couldn't, didn't want to cover the old blues songs. It would have been ridiculous for mm. someone like me to go out singing about the Mississippi and about life in the 1920s, 30s. That wasn't my life. So I wrote a few tunes and I put some words to them and, and I was up and running. Very creative then. Yeah, but it's it's a strange one in a way that um, a lot of people go into music or indeed anything creative with um, the aim of success and um, often fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I didn't at all. I just um, sort of wandered out and did a bit of playing. And the, the response was what encouraged me to um, to build it. And it sort of built its own momentum. Uh, and most things in life for most people are a grind and, a, and, and this just hasn't been, uh, which makes it very, very special for me because it's, it's like I found my thing, uh, in, in that, um, phrase, you know, I found my voice. It, it just arrived. Uh, and, um, so it's been a wonderful thing. What is it about the blues that truly resonates with you? Yeah, it's, um, it's an attitude, I think. Um, it's an extraordinary thing to feel some kind of connection with people long gone, uh, who you wouldn't have had a, a connection on, on a normal level with, um, if you'd known them because your background is totally different, uh, and the life you've had is totally different. So it simply isn't about that. And that's why it would be, in my view, wrong for me to even attempt to be like them. Uh, and, you know, for that reason as well, I don't put on a voice. Uh, you know, a lot of people doing blues think they have to put on a sort of blues voice. And uh, I, I, I sing like I talk, which is exactly what they did. Exactly mm-hmm. what they did. Uh, and it's about being completely yourself, being completely natural. Uh, and I guess uh, if you could encapsulate the spirit of it, um it's people whose lives were as bad as anyone could imagine a life being, uh, and yet creating a music that acknowledged that, but also had an, an enormous capacity for joy. And so it's the combination of the, if you like, the misery and the joy mm. that I uh, appeals to me. Well, we're going to take a break and play your first song, which is The House Full of Children. Um, ah. um, I'm getting from this song... A song of a dad having a, having a house full of children from different marriages, working hard yeah. to keep the family fed and watered, but he's happy, which is why he can't sing the blues. Exactly. Brilliant. Yes, exactly that. This is a friend of mine um, who passed away a few years back called Eddie Burns in Detroit. Uh, and when I was a kid, I went to America on my own. Uh, and um, when I was wandering around, 
um, because I'd met him at a gig in this country. And he'd um, told me, you know, if you're ever in Detroit, give me a ring. And I did. And he came and fetched me. And um, I stayed with him in his house for a week or 10 days in Detroit. Um, uh, he was a lovely man. And this is his story. Yes, he, he was a blues artist and a very, very good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, who had travelled up to Detroit with John Lee Hooker. John Lee Hooker was his best friend, uh, and um, he played with him. Um, but because he had all these children and he took that seriously, um, he didn't do all the music he could have done. Uh, so you're absolutely right, Matt. That is the message of the song, yeah. Well, let's give it a whirl, because um, I think you'll like this one. I got a house full of children I got children everywhere All over the living room I'm running up and down the stairs I got some fully grown ones Who think that I'm a fool I got some little bitter ones Who think that the daddy's cool I gotta do what I got to do I gotta work in a job or two I got a house full of children so I can't sing, no, I can't sing the blues I got wife number two She's better than number one Number one had a long, long face But number one done gone Now all of those children They wanted to stay with me now I got some more with number two Got my own menagerie I gotta work all the daytime through I gotta work in the night time too I got a house full of children So I can't sing, no I can't sing the blues children if you just join me i'm with the blues singer songwriter and musician mark harrison mark when the time came for you to return to music you bought yourself a resonator what is a resonator yeah good question it's a type of guitar sometimes people um, call them dobros but dobro is a make it's a company name uh a resonator's uh the sort of uh, traditional picture that people have of a blues guitar 
which is basically a, a guitar with a, a metal cone uh, in the center of it, which amplifies the sound. <clears throat> and these were created um, by a company called National uh, in the 1920s, and they, they were in business through the 20s and 30s. Uh, and the idea was this was before electricity uh, was commonplace in the deep south uh, and before amplifiers and microphones and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the idea was that it would make the guitar louder, which it certainly does, um, for people playing on their own in rough old bars and shacks that they were doing their gigs in. Um, so it's, it's a, I guess, primitive form of amplification. Ah. But most of these guitars are all metal. That is a metal body with the metal cone. Um, but mine is uh, slightly less common in that it has a wooden body with the metal cone. Uh, they National did make a few models. Uh, mine is a National Trojan that was made in 1934. Uh, and um, with the wood body ones, you get a warmer sound, as you can imagine. The, mm. the all-metal ones are very metallic sound, and, and that's what people commonly associate with this type of playing. Um, but um, what appealed to me was the warm sound for the kind of style that I play. So I got this wood body one, and in fact, it used to belong to Eric Bibb, who is, um, if you don't know Eric, he's uh, possibly the the top contemporary blues artist. Wow. So tell us about your journey then in music, and describe your experiences throughout your music career. Well, um, I just did what came naturally, um, and when it comes to writing songs, um, I always had uh, all sorts of thoughts, the thoughts are not about me uh, and um, so when I set out uh, my instinct was to write songs that had something to say that might be of interest to other people <clears throat> rather than uh, emoting about my own internal life uh, in which I'm not interested uh, and I'm not incredibly interested in other people's either so um, a lot of songwriting is regarded as self-expression that, mm-hmm. that you you put into a song that which is within you. Um, and that presupposes that people will be interested in that. And um, I'm not. And uh, I didn't want to go around performing my own life. Uh, and so these are uh, songs that are about things that might interest an audience. They, they might be things that people think, yeah, I, I can see that, or that's happened to me, or... That's how I feel, too. Um, and in a lot of cases, because they're about something, I've taken them from an actual event or a person or a story. So I have quite a few songs that are about the blues people, the blues world, the, the artists, the world they lived in. And um, a thing that I try to do is to draw parallels between their world and, and their thoughts and our own lives in the modern day and age. And there are plenty of parallels to be had now that brings me on to another song which we're going to be playing later um but um for for everyone that doesn't really understand about the blues the blues is a music genre and music form which was um originated in the deep south of the united states around the 1860s uh by the african-americans from roots in african musical traditions african-american work songs and uh Early traditional blues verses consisted of a single line repeated about four times. Is that right? 
Have I got that right? Yeah, I mean, that certainly is, is true uh, to an extent. Um, yes, uh, there, there were mixtures of influences in, in these songs, um, in that quite a, a few of them were from European folk traditions as well. Uh, the the African-Americans um, picked up songs from uh, white people, too, um, and learned how to perform them so they could uh, earn some money. Hmm. Um, and so it's a bit more of a, of a melting pot than that, though what you say is 100% true. Plus, um, at the time, 1920s, 30s, 40s, um, blues was not quite the, the genre that it's become in the marketing era uh, of record companies. And um, I have to say that, that for some time now, I've been avoiding calling myself a blues artist because um, it's very uh, it, it can put people off because the question of what uh, they associate with it. And um, since the 1960s, when rock music was born, um, blues has been largely co-opted into rock music mm. by white people. So that there are people who think that the earliest blues artist was Eric Clapton um, and that uh, things like the Allman Brothers um, are examples of blues music. But that that rock music has absolutely nothing really to do with the original early stuff that no. um, all these people invented. There are no guitar solos as such on a Muddy Waters record. Uh, uh, Howling Wolf had a lead guitar player, but um, his solos are very short and well-formed. The, the idea that blues music is a sort of an excuse for a lengthy electric guitar solo is an entirely modern white construction. And I've never been interested in that music. It's the original stuff that, that um, feels to me. The original artist might might have struggled to see themselves in a particular genre. They thought they were doing songs, that songs was what it was about, and um, and those songs could be in a variety of styles, uh, including what we would regard as folk music uh, and ragtime and all kinds of... Uh, it was a mixture. Uh, and um, that's what I feel I'm doing, is I'm doing songs. And um, perhaps for me, you know, although everything I do springs from the early blues um it's probably a good idea for me not to emphasize the, the word blues because it can have the, the wrong connotations in this day and age i suppose that's quite interesting because you are the genuine blues a genuine blues singer not to say yeah. blues as you know to encompass all blues but you are a genuine blues artist um and funny you should say about folk, because when I listen to some of your songs, I think, well, is it blues or it sounds folk, folky-ish in there? Because you've got the skiffle, you've got a skiffle board in there. And I think, you know, the, I could picture being on a farm in the United States in a rocking chair. And I'm listening to someone playing a guitar, but more of a country folk song. Um so I can get all those those feelings coming in and I could put picture myself somewhere where I'm listening to that song. Um, rather bizarre, I know, but that's how it no. that's how it reflects on me. Because you do sound American. When you sing, you have got that American twang. And even though you say you don't put on a, a, an American accent, 
it just naturally flows from you. Um, I don't know. Um, it's often said that I don't. So I guess she pays your money, takes your choice. Um, there's a whole separate question about singing in general uh, and that um, any form of popular music sung by anyone uh, frequently uh, has a slightly American uh, aspect to it. I suppose the pronunciation of vowels, the way that the words are elongated. Um, and, and so in actual fact, I think you'd have to make a special effort to sing in an English accent. Uh, and that would probably sound um, pretty contrived. Um, but in comparison with, with most people, uh, I don't think there's um, a tremendous amount of American in, in the sound of my voice. Your songwriting reflects, obviously, the true aspects of the blues. And you did do some research, but did you do have to do a lot of research or did you have a lot of understanding about that genre anyway? Well, when I was um, younger, when I was at school, um, you know, we were all, uh, my little group of people were all interested in this uh, and um, it wasn't um, a weird thing to be interested in. So um, I had quite a bit of knowledge of the history of blues, the, the people, some of the stories. Um, and then when I started listening again, which was about the year 2000, um, I, I got a lot of albums and listened to them. Uh, I started to buy a lot of books. I was interested in the history of the whole thing and the people. So I accumulated a pretty large amount of knowledge. Um, and some of these things were quite striking to me. Uh, stories, uh, images, names of people. Uh, and I started to write some songs with them in. So I have a number of, of songs that um, are about these people and what happened to them. Uh, it's a sort of, it's a category of my songwriting um, list <clears throat> that there are some in, in that category. And, um, you know, that, that's something you can talk to an audience about and explain before the song who it's about uh, and what the story is about. And, um, you know, that helps um, a, a lot to people, audiences, to enjoy it when they know what the song's about. What inspires you to write to write songs? Well, it's not um, an effort. Uh, I, I, I had a brilliant harmonica player with me for years. He, he ended up leaving the country, and, and he said that... Um, uh, a proper songwriter, real songwriters, do it because that's how they see the world through the songs. Uh, and that's absolutely true of me. <clears throat> I think there, there are lots of other people of whom that is simply not the case. Uh, and their motivation <coughs> is different. Um, and their motivation is that the, that's how they see themselves um, or, or their own internal life. And I'm, I'm really not like that at all. So um, I don't sit down and think, oh, I'm going to write a song now. The, um, the starting point is an idea, sometimes just a line, mm -hmm. which can come from anywhere, wandering about. Suddenly one has a thought uh, mm -hmm. and it's a line and, and you think, oh, I'll jot that down. That might be interesting. Uh, and um, so uh, then you can build from that idea. OK, what what's this going to be about? What what? What message will it have? What point will it make? What story will it tell? Um, and so I, I try and do these things so that they're a whole big subject compressed uh, into two or three 
one hopes tightly written verses mm. so that instead of rambling on like I'm doing now, you can <laughs> you can say an awful lot in three minutes uh, so that the, the, the song is a, a sort of snapshot of a much bigger thing. Well, let's take a breather and play your next song, which is the Hooker's song. Is that, because you mentioned earlier about drawing parallels, is that a song where you have drawn a parallel between the early blues years and the here and now years? 100%. Yes, 100%. Um, I mean, Hooker is John Lee Hooker, but um, uh, I've used the name. It could have been any of the early blues singers standing for that role. Um, It it had to be two-syllable one. (laughs) <laughs> the sangle, right? Um, but, um, yes, um, I mean, yeah, it's a very good point. It's about, I guess, about hypocrisy, uh, which, um, is just as great an epidemic now as it ever was. Um, and I was interested in the idea that, um, from what I can see, um, a lot of the most unpleasant people you can meet in this day and age will tell you with great certainty and aggression how nice they are. Uh, niceness is a sort of epidemic as well. Mm. And it's a, a, for some people, it's a sort of aggressive type of niceness uh, in which they attack other people for not being as nice as they think they are. Uh, and um, I would dispute their niceness, these kind of people mm-hmm. uh, who are very public about it. Uh, and I got to thinking that in, in Hooker's um life, uh, both in, in Mississippi and when he went up to Detroit. Of course, um, some of the most appalling acts of racism were carried out by people um, who thought because they had religion, they were nice people. Uh, and so uh, it's really about, um, well, it's, it's saying to, to people, um, actually, it's what you do in life that is uh, definitive of you. Uh, not what you might think of yourself or what goes on head. So that's the parallel, yep. And, um, yeah, it is. You can actually hear the actual words in a song means just that, that it's not um, who you say you are, it is the acts that you do, and all acts have a consequence. Um, let's give this a spin, because everyone's going to enjoy this one. All those battles that I fought now are gone Sustained linger on when your enemy pretends that they really are your friend. Oh, what lesson can be learned? Only one. It doesn't matter what you think, it only matters what you do. That's the only thing anybody's ever gonna know about you. Settle scores 
for the trouble that's been caused when the winner is the one who's in the wrong. It doesn't matter what you think, it only matters what you do. That's the only thing anybody's ever gonna know about you. And if you hit me in the face, I'm gonna fall down on the ground. It won't matter to me if you think you're heaven bound. Mr. Mark Harrison. Um, Mark, and there's a little giggle there. Mark, who has uh, influenced you in, in you and your um, songwriting? Uh, the songwriting, uh, I'd be hard pressed to say anybody, really. Um, okay. I, I, it's not um, taking songs and uh, thinking, oh, I'd like to write songs like that. I, I think what I do is, um, for, for better or worse, entirely individual and and quite unique uh so I, I, there aren't other people writing songs about the topics that i write about um the style uh obviously you know as i say i i, I started off trying to play like the original um early acoustic blues artists um but i was struck by um uh you know one or two things that have influenced me i suppose over the years um always really liked the band uh, and uh, the band's um, thing of, of combining traditional uh, old American music with a modern style of that time, which was rock music. But um, 
band, the band, um, their great works, um, still stand up completely today. Don't, don't sound even faintly dated. Mm. So, uh, you know, what, what you're aiming for here or what happens anyway is a kind of timeless music that, um, uh, isn't uh, subject to fashion, uh, and always sounds okay. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's a lot to do with the fact that it's played on actual musical instruments. Uh, and um, not um, synthetically produced. Uh, anything synthetically produced is is going to be of its time because the technology will differ. Uh, and um, uh, I'm not not interested in any of that. Um, and um, I also um, I saw Eric Bibb, uh, who I really like and um, has become a sort of friend of mine. Um, and he had a band with him, and I do too. Um, and it really did strike me that um, here was a full band where the lead instrument was an acoustic guitar, but a very loud one, uh, certainly loud enough, and driving all the music with its rhythmic playing. And, and I thought, yeah, no, you can do that. Uh, and that's actually interesting because you can hear everybody clearly. Uh, it's not drowned out by an electric guitar. The volume is perfectly loud, but not such that you would feel uncomfortable with it. Um, and therefore, you make a big sound, a big sound, where the lead instrument is one of these type guitars. Uh, and of course, that's what we've done over the years, gone and played lots of, you know, pretty decent sized festivals and um, theatres, uh, art centres, you know, um, good sized venues. And, and the sound fills the place. Uh, so that that was um, something that really did, um, you know, give me uh, give me ideas at the beginning. Mm. Now, I think as most of your songs come from a life experience, um, but which one stands out above the rest, or do they all stand out? They're not necessarily my life experience, uh, and so um, a lot of it is to do with imagining what other people's lives are like uh, and having some degree of. I guess, uh, empathy with them, um, even if what I'm talking about doesn't apply to me. Yeah. Um, so uh, there might be the odd line that comes out of my own life, but primarily that isn't the source of, of uh, inspiration. But I'd say that um, perhaps if I had to pull one example that is slightly, um, years ago, uh, one, one of the top songs uh, that we've done for years is called Panic Attack, uh, and... Um, I had uh, what I thought was a mildly amusing thought that my entire life had been a panic attack. <clears throat> so I, I had the line, my whole life's been one big panic attack. And I thought that was an OK start to a song. So I built a whole song around that. Now, that's a kind of idle thought and a semi, semi-humorous semi one, I suppose. Um, and the idea that you can make a serious and perhaps um, quite um, a sad point, maybe, um, mm. but but have that in an upbeat way. So a lot of what I do has kind of jolly tunes and upbeat music uh, accompanied by some perhaps slightly darker words. Right, yeah. Hmm, very interesting. Now, when you realised that your songs were better than your cover songs, you noticed that your music career started to excel, um, and you've gone from strength to strength, performing at gigs, festivals, producing um, an album upon album. And one critique says, compelling storytelling and wry humour. A troubadour whose music making is fresh and original. 
and whose songs are clever and compelling. He excels at intriguing you. Um, how do you feel? And that's by, sorry, uh, uh, down at the crossroads. How do you feel about the surge in popularity that you're getting? Well, I mean, you know, it was, um, it, it's been one of the nicest things that's happened, um, particularly because I've, I've never been desperate, uh, you know, to, to push myself somewhere. And of course you have to put a lot of effort into run a music career. Mm. Um, but, um, I've never been, I've never felt desperation and, um, I've always felt that everything about it is a bonus uh, and a plus because I, I didn't have any expectations when I started. Um, and I, I never did cover versions because I couldn't work out how to play them, Neil. Uh, I'm not, <laughs> honestly, I, I've got no idea what the original guys were actually playing. I, I never went to a music college or I had videos to yeah. study. <clears throat> and um, so uh, it's always been my own thing. <clears throat> it's always been what has sprung naturally out of me. Um, and yeah, I was surprised, um, very happily surprised to find that people were interested in it and liked it. Um, and at the pretty early days, I was played with a band and still do. Um, and early on, one or two of them said, what was this song about? And, um, and I told them and they said, well, you should say that. Uh, and so although I was a bit nervy about doing it, I started to talk about the songs to audiences and, um, and a lot of people would come up and say, I really enjoyed that. The the stories are a really important part of this. Uh, and that happens regularly. Because you worry a little bit that people will get bored, with, yeah. you know, and think, just, just play the damn song. Um, so you've got to be pretty careful about how much you say and how you put it. Mm. Um, but um, I'm, because, you know, I think the unique thing here is that the songs really are about something. Uh, and if they're not really about anything, I just play them. So I don't wrap it, wrap it on telling jokes um, if the song stands up on its own. Mm. But if it would be good for people to know what it's about and, and what the background is, um, I think that, that, you know, clearly audiences really do like that. So it's a very big part of what we do. It's a parallel to this show, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed, of course. As I knew as I was saying Oh dear, yes, we had this little chat earlier. So you said that the blues has survived the test of time. How has it survived the test of time? I think blues um, is a little bit different from other things. Um, I think that people, <coughs> particularly in this day and age, um, some people are attracted to what you might call real music played by real people on real instruments. Hmm. Um, and um, the idea that, that, as it were, Anyone can do it uh, in music as in anything else is manifestly untrue. Uh, and the idea that, that you will pay money to see somebody do something extraordinary, something that, that they're at a level of craftsmanship, uh, that, that still does exist. Uh, and people want to see something that they couldn't do themselves, that clearly is, uh, you know, proper uh, musicianship. The, the, the small thing I have about blues, however, is that um, it seems to be the only type of music that, that people expect to be frozen in time. Um, there's been all sorts of developments and um, experimentation uh, and um, uh, individuality in folk music, in country music, um, in all forms of what you might call roots music, African music, blending um, Western rock with, with African rhythms, all kinds of interesting things happening in roots music. But 
Blues, for some reason, is, is, is assumed to be a kind of museum piece where, you know, the, the idea is you just go and do the old stuff like the original people did it. Uh, and I don't understand that. And it's why I shy away from, from having blues in, in any description of me, because it's not what I'm doing. Uh, and um, I, it surprised me at the very beginning that there was no real innovation in blues. Uh, and, and there isn't really. I mean, there's a handful of people out there, the most of the Americans, um, who, who even attempt to write a song. Uh, and um, I felt that, the, you know, one, as soon as I started, I thought there's no reason why you can't write a song about anything at all. Uh, in a generally sort of bluesy style. Mm. Uh, plus, you know, the original artists, quite a bit of their material was the pop music of the day. You know, they wanted to earn money. Uh, they, they weren't setting out to be obscure. Obscurity was not their aim. Uh, and um, so it, it's puzzled me a little bit that blues uh, does seem such a, a separate entity to other genres of music. And that's why it's unwise for me to to um, put myself out as a blues artist. Yeah, I mean, blues is is a is a very relaxing uh, tone of music. Um, I get when you say when they start mixing it with rock, it it, it takes on a whole different meaning at all. Um, but the genuine blues is a real relaxing, which is why I say that I can picture myself being on a veranda, you know, watching the sunset, and I'm hearing this music, and I can picture that. Whereas you put yourself, if you start manipulating it into different other genres, and you start losing the edge on the true definition of blues. Um, so I, I get exactly what you're saying. Now, yeah. we're going to take another quick break, um, yeah. and we're going to be playing What's on House Said. Um, what is the true meaning behind this song? Um, the, um, uh, the artist Sun House was... Um one of the really important uh, originators of blues music. He was one of the mm. earliest ones. And um, other well-regarded blues artists, such as Muddy Waters, such as Hylian Wolf, and in particular Robert Johnson, they, they learnt from Sunhouse. He was a sort of teacher. Um, and um, like all of these uh, blues artists, um, they, they didn't uh, have a career after the 1930s until being rediscovered in the 1960s. Uh, where they got to play uh, nice gigs for white people, enthusiastic young white audiences in the folk revival in America and, and here. Mm. And um, uh, Sunhouse was, um, by the time they rediscovered him, he, he, he was extremely drunk on a permanent basis. He, he had a genuinely uh, serious drink issue. And so he was um, often uh, off his face. He could still perform brilliantly. Uh, but um, the issue was talking, uh, and um, <clears throat> they recorded an album uh, of Sunhouse live, uh, which was um, a bit of a gamble. Uh, and um, I have that album on CD, and um, it begins with a very long speech he makes um, about how blues is about men and women, about heartbreak, treachery, etc., etc., and that's what life is all about. But it doesn't make any sense. So um, I thought I would put it together in what I thought he was trying to say. So um, oh, my, mm. my song is about men, women and relationships in two verses, everything you need to know on the subject. Well, if only I knew that before I got to my 50s. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, I, you know, everybody should know it from birth, basically. But because it might be rubbish, it, it might well be rubbish. 
Uh, it's just what I'm thinking when uh, when I listen to what he was saying. Well, we're going to take a break. We're going to give it a whirl. This is New Styles Show with Mark Harrison and myself, and this is what Sunhouse said. What you think's the best of you is actually your worst. So many things in this life that ought to be reversed. What you think's a Um, if you could perform with any living artist, who would it be and why? Gosh, uh, I haven't given that one any thought. They've got to be living, have they? Mm. Oh, well, that's really narrowed the field, I'm afraid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I was uh, accumulating my uh, collection of 
history of blues CDs, and I used to come back in shops with these. My kids, who are very small then, their first question would, when I'd show them an album would be, is he dead, Dad? Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm going uh, Mavis Staples. Mavis Staples, okay. Yeah. Uh, the, Not the, Miley Cyrus then? No, no, funnily <laughs> no. enough. Oddly enough, oddly enough. No, that's not to knock her. Um, but, um, look, you know, you, you're coming to the point where some of the um, original uh, great people, you know, uh, you're running out of them now. Uh, and, um, you know, in a lot of cases, there won't be another, as it were. And Dr. John is a case in point. And um, great Alan Toussaint of New Orleans died a few years ago. Uh, Mavis Staples is, um, without a shadow of doubt, the greatest gospel singer uh, and um, a phenomenal live act. And um, so uh, I, I name her. I think you and um, a soul blues um, and gospel singer, Habaka Jackson, would be a good fit for you. Yeah. I mean, probably if I wasn't singing. It might, it might, it might work. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It could work. It could work. There you go. That's that's my because I've I've um, I've had Habakkuk Jackson on on my show, and I've heard her heard her um, performance and her her work, and um, hearing yours as well. And I think there is definitely some kind of uh, contrast uh, yeah. between the two. And I think. A, a collaboration of a song between the two of you. I think that could be really, really hot. Sounds like a good idea, yeah. I'll give you your details after the show. Do so, yeah, yeah. Okay, so where do you go from here? Um, well, we are obviously in some kind of um, limbo land like everybody else. Uh, we had a tremendous uh, load of dates for last year, um, almost all of which have been uh, rearranged for this year and we um, you know, have to hope that we can do them um, um, I don't know whether I'm going to end up rearranging some things for the third time so it's a little bit difficult to plan ahead you have to plough on uh, and keep going and keep um, you know, booking dates and um, eventually you'll be able to do them but uh, what thing we did I, I, I've got two guys brilliant guys that um, work with me as a band um, Charles Benfield on double bass and Ben Welburn on drums percussion and uh, we go out as a trio and increasing though I do some solo gigs um, we often go out as a trio where, where we can um, and we recorded a new album uh, in the summer last year which is just being finished now uh, where we did um, all the songs as live so we went in a room and, and played and sang all together did three takes of each song um, and then that's been <clears throat> edited together, uh, and that will be a double album called wow. The Road to uh, and there's 21 songs in all, and um, really, really pleased with how that's come out, and that's a different way of making an album, and, and certainly a much um, more, I guess, authentic way of doing it, um, and it particularly works for us, I think, because um, the three of us actually playing together uh, is a, a pretty special thing. Uh, and if you go in studios and 
play separately in the normal fashion. And, you know, it's, it's fine. But uh, we thought we'd do it this way this time. So that is currently in its latter stages of preparation, and I'll be out um, in a month or two. Um, so a lot goes into that. So I'm very occupied with um, all the preparations for the release of that. And uh, that will be coming your way and lots of other people's way um, just as soon as um, it's done. So it's been fortunate that we've been able to fill this time with a lot of activity on a new album. Um, but it's obviously, you know, my life uh, consists of going around and playing to all kinds of people in all kinds of places. I haven't been able to do that now for a year. It's it's had a it's had a, a terrific um, effect on the music industry. What about um, you know doing streaming, uh, live streaming yeah. gigs? <clears throat> well, last year, um, you know, everybody leapt into that as soon as we had lockdown, uh, and um, I did a series of those. Uh, which is fine, and they went very well. Um, what I would observe about that is that um, it is a little bit odd to do a gig where you're talking to a phone uh, or whatever, you know, and there isn't an actual audience there. Mm. Um, it's okay. Uh, what I, I noted, I might be wrong about this, um, is a, a rapidly diminishing appetite for streaming gigs. Um I don't think it's a substitute for the real thing. And um, although in, in the early days people were suggesting, you know, this is the way forward, <clears throat> in my opinion, it isn't. Uh, and um, I think that I'm hoping that as soon as we can start doing proper gigs again, people will come out in droves, having been deprived of the opportunity for a long time. Um, because sitting and watching something on a computer or whatever, simply isn't anything like the experience of going to a gig. So um, I don't think that's dead. Uh, it remains to be seen, you know, what venues survive and all the rest of that. We've just got to hope that they do. Uh, and, um, you know, we just hope to resume with a vengeance as soon as uh, we can do that, I guess. I think once the doors are open officially, I think um, there'll be a surge because people are craving for it now, so there, I think there will be a surge for for gigs because it's it's the want and need for normalisation, isn't it? Um, well, yeah. So I think you know, as like you say, as long as these venues you know keep their heads above water uh, until the time that they can open their doors. And from what I can tell, uh, you've got varying degrees of, of fear, uh, varying responses. Um, in a situation where it would be strange if you didn't, you know, um, mm. there's a sort of suggestion that everyone's response should be identical, but that's obviously, I don't know where that comes from. Um, and that might, my feeling is you'll have some people who have been, uh, you know, too scared to go out for God knows how long, uh, and they may not turn up. But um, on the other hand, an awful lot of people um, who, who thought they'd go to gigs but didn't bother, uh, now will. So yeah. uh, I think that might, I mean, this is a, you know, utterly optimistic view. Um, but I think that theatres will uh, do good business when they are able to do any business at all. Mm. Uh, and, um, you know, people, uh, there's a lot of fantastic venues around this country, local theatres, local art centres, um, where, you know, the, they often struggled to some degree before any of this stuff happened. 
Um, and it's about getting people out uh, in an environment in which they weren't necessarily hugely motivated to go out. I'm just guessing here that maybe they will be motivated to go out now. Do you think, your own personal opinion this is, do you think that people will appreciate theatres and music venues a lot more than what maybe we did before the pandemic? Yes. I think because um, the, the real music fan uh, people that are, are, are into it as consumers um, have, as I say, I, I think, uh, pretty rapidly discovered the, uh, the the live stream, the watching things on on um, screen is a pretty insipid substitute for the real thing. Uh, mm. And while you know they acknowledge that that's all that's available to people like me, um, that is just a holding position. So um, I think people that, that, that are really into music will be more motivated to go to more gigs when they're able to do so. Uh, and as long as they feel OK doing it. And I think there's plenty of people who will. Well, your music can be downloaded from your website, which is markharrisonrootsmusic.com. That's markharrisonrootsmusic.com. It's also available on iTunes, Amazon, Bandcamp, anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, um, you can hear songs uh, on the website, which is markharrisonrootsmusic.com. Um, and, um, yeah, you can um, hear, stream, whatever, um, and download on all the all the standard um, digital platforms, including Spotify. Um, but um, if you like what I do, the thing to do is buy an album, uh, and you can buy them all from the website shop page. Uh, you can also buy them from Bandcamp, Bandcamp Mark Harrison, where um, all the albums are there, and you can also on that, if you don't want an actual physical album, you can download them uh, for uh, money. Um, because, of course, you know, one of the great uh, issues now we won't go into is um, uh, recorded music being essentially free and consumable free. Um, but that doesn't help uh, in any way the artist to keep going. So to, to buy someone's music is an act of active support. Uh, and um, so if people check me out, go on the website, uh, there's plenty of videos and um, all kinds of information on there. You can listen to songs, you can watch songs being performed. Um, and if, uh, if you like what I'm doing, then uh, it'd be nice if people bought an album uh, and they can receive it. Absolutely. I'll certainly um, raise my uh, hand to that one, that we do have to keep supporting our artists if we want them to remain in existence. Um, certainly, if you want to hear uh, um, your songs and um, download them and pay pay the price. Well, yeah, it's nobody's fault. Uh, this is how the technology is developed. Well, it certainly isn't, mm. the, it certainly isn't the consumer's fault. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of people that are um, music fans and supporters, um, really, you know, why would they know the economics of it for the artist? And there's been quite a bit of publicity about the um, extremely small sums of money an artist receives for Spotify. Um, mm. with, as a source of income, you can simply forget it. So, yeah. uh, you know, my stuff is there and, um, you know, people can listen to it, stream it, whatever there. Uh, and that's absolutely fine with me. But if, if you want to 
you know, step up a level because you like it and, and, you know, want it to continue and, um, and all that, then, um, buy an album. Because your music is good. Very good. And Thank you. I would certainly, I would certainly recommend anyone to go out and look you up on the website and download. Um, certainly. And I would certainly be buying your album. So, um, there's no two ways about <laughs> that. Thank you. Now, it, it's been a pleasure having you on my show, Mark. And um, I look forward to you coming back on my show in the very near future. Absolutely. And hopefully we'll have it all go live. You know, and we, we, yes. <laughs> maybe we can actually see you performing um, as well. Yep. So it leaves me one thing to say. Mark Harrison, you are a new star. Uh-huh. And um, we would like to have you back on. And we, um, we're going to be playing out now with uh, your last song. And it's called Ain't No Justice. And um, for anyone that's uh, tuned in, um, you can catch up with all my guests on um, my podcast at tinyurl.com forward slash newstarsshow. That's stars with a Z. So that's tinyurl.com forward slash newstarsshow. So from my guest, Mr. Mark Harrison and myself, goodbye. Bye. There ain't no justice down there on the farm. Oh my lord, what can I do? Oh my lord, what can I do?